HVAC 360, episode number 38, Mechanical Insulation. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. This week, we are going to talk mechanical insulation. Now, I've, uh, I've tracked down a past president of the National Insulation Association, uh, Mr. Ron King. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons that I actually focused on Ron was he it was the chair um, in going through some of my Google searches. Um, if you're familiar with the National Inst- National Institute of Building Sciences, they've put out a, a lot of good information about the whole building design guide. Well, one of the things that they did is they had a national mechanical insulation committee. Ron was the chair of that committee. They actually uh, produced the Building Sciences Mechanical Insulation Design Guide uh, that is available uh, for you to look at. And uh, so that's that's the reason why I chose Ron, and I, this should be a excellent interview. So without any more delay, let's cut to the tape. All right, we're talking with Ron King, uh, the past president of the National Insulation Association. How are you doing today, Ron? Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you today, man. Thank you very much. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your background as, as, as far as, uh, you know, where you've been. I'm, uh, I'm a veteran of the, uh, the commercial and industrial insulation industry, uh, approaching almost 50 years of, in the industry. I've uh, done everything basically from owned and operated my own small contracting business uh, to a senior management position of a, of a large uh, national specialty contractor, I've uh, been the president of an accessory manufacturer, and, and I recently retired as the chairman, president, and CEO of one of the nation's uh, largest um, commercial and industrial insulation distributors. Uh, throughout my career, I've been extremely involved in industry organizations. I, I've been a past president of the Southwest Insulation Contractors Association, uh, a past president of the National Insulation Association, and also the uh, the World Insulation and Acoustical Congress. Uh, Currently, I am a full-time consultant to the National Insulation Association and sit on other boards and advisory positions uh, in the industry across the country. Now, I guess the National Insulation Association, what, what, what kind of is their, their goal? What's, what's their uh, charge? National Insulation Association, or NIA as we like to refer to it, uh, was founded uh, back, I think it was 1953, uh, it's a Northern Virginia-based trade organization uh, that represents what we refer to as the mechanical and specialty insulation industry. Uh, it's the only association that represents that segment of the industry. And as a trade organization, uh, it is basically representing contractors, manufacturers, distributors, uh, fabricators, uh, basically all facets of the industry to promote the growth and improve the professionalism of the industry and, and obviously just to promote the use and benefits of mechanical insulation. Now, I, I guess uh, you're, when you when you say mechanical insulation, is that related to uh, mechanical systems? Is that correct? That is correct, and you would be surprised how many times I get asked that question about what is mechanical insulation. Though. Especially when you're in Washington D.C. on the hill, and you get asked that question, most people would just automatically think of insulation. They think of it's the pink stuff, as they like to refer to it. Uh, mechanical insulation is, in fact, all types of insulation. There, there's probably 40 different types of systems 
that go on for the installation of all types of mechanical equipment, as you, as you mentioned, whether it is uh, HVAC, uh, heating, venting, and air conditioning ductwork, whether it is uh, cold and uh, cold and hot water piping, whether it's an industrial or manufacturing complex, uh, food processing, all types of mechanical equipment and piping. Now, uh, you know, you, you, I guess to describe the industry in general, um, is, is, it, is it split uh, then uh, from, you know, if you, you think of uh, insulation that goes on a building envelope, um, is that one camp and the other camp is the mechanical insulation? I mean, is, is it kind of split up like that? It is. The, uh, the commercial industry would have the, the roofing and the envelope. Uh, they usually refer to them as the roofing and the envelope, uh, which would be the walls. In many cases, they refer to the envelope, including the roof. And then you do, in fact, have the mechanical, so it's absolutely split uh, very clearly in those lines. Totally different uh, methodologies, different approaches, different contractors, different, uh, different distribution channels, different manufacturers. Hmm. Now, I guess you talk about mechanical insulation. Now, why, I've heard you describe this as a forgotten technology. Why, why do you call it that? Well, we, we've been using that for, for quite some time, and that mechanical insulation, if you think about the insulation of ductwork or piping, and just think of it in a building, uh, you insulate a duct, you insulate a pipe, and it's usually hidden above a ceiling. It's hidden in a wall. It's in the basement of a mechanical room. And it, it's basically forgotten. Um, when it comes to energy conservation, uh, the green movement, sustainability, items of that nature, uh, people seem to, to tend more toward the, the more exciting new technologies and so forth, where mechanical insulation has been around literally for hundreds of years. Uh, it has worked extremely well. It's probably got one of the highest rates of return of investment, uh, probably one of the most effective items that you could do to reduce energy and emissions. And yet it is very seldom thought of. It, it is literally the forgotten technology because you don't see it, you don't, you, do, you don't come in contact with it every day, uh, like the lighting industry or the windows and that type of thing. <laughs> so we, we refer to it as the Rodney Dangerfield uh, or the forgotten technology of, of a lot of energy conservation issues. Right. No, I, I, I would I would agree with that. You know, I, and I, I like to say, you know, in, in, in talking with me, like mechanical designers, the best design mechanical system is one that you never know is there. So, <laughs> so the insulation Absolutely. goes hand in hand with that. So now, I, I guess when you talk about, I guess what are, what are some of the things when you talk to mechanical designers uh, about mechanical insulation? What are some of the the design considerations that uh, that you really you, you want to uh, emphasize to them? Well, when you think of insulation, obviously the the first thing that comes to mind is is energy conservation. And that's first and foremost, especially in today's world with, uh, with all the issues of energy shortages in this country and our dependency on foreign sources. Um, energy certainly has to be at the very top of that. But it really does depend on really the, what you're dealing with. Uh, if you're dealing with uh, chill water piping, condensation may be a problem, may be one of the major considerations as opposed to that of energy. Uh, if you're dealing with something that's uh, in a process like food processing or something of that nature, uh, making sure that you can control the temperature of the product in the, in the actual manufacturing process itself uh, could be the design consideration. There's, there's, a, there's quite a few, actually, when you come down to it, from, from energy to, to the environment to the reduction of emissions. Uh, there's freeze protection. There's personnel protection, process control, uh, noise control. There's quite a few items that come into play. But energy conservation is by far the, the most important thing, I think, in today's economy. 
And I, I guess if you, if you were to, to look at where designers fall short, what what are some common mistakes? What what maybe like you know one or two items that that you see uh, are are typically not not done correctly? Oh boy, we we could talk about this for the entire show. <laughs> um, I think first and foremost is that uh, the lack of knowledge uh, that exists in the marketplace about mechanical insulation. Uh, it is literally taken for granted. It really is. Uh, I've done a lot of speaking over the years with uh, mechanical en- engineering associations across the country, and I always like to ask the question, um, in your four years and a graduate degree from a mechanical engineer, uh, how many hours did you spend on, on thermal insulation? Not thermal dynamics, but thermal insulation. And it's always interesting to me that the, the highest number I've heard so far is one hour. <laughs> And then when, when you get into the design phase, you automatically just start turning to uh, to basically guide specifications or to guide standards like ASHRAE 90.1, for instance, for insulation. Uh, a great guide, no question about it at all, but like most guides and most specifications, they are minimum levels. And so you automatically turn to that and you're, you're specifying things in accordance with those standards, which is by far the, the better thing to do than to guess, no question about that at all. But you're only then looking at one aspect. You're not looking at uh, the entire project, whether it be uh, is the insulation going to be in a high abuse area? Is it going to be in an area that possibly could be subject to uh, corrosion under the insulation? So you have to look at the entire system. And this lack of knowledge, this deficit understanding, is is certainly, I think, one of the biggest problems that exist uh, in today's marketplace. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many manufacturers... Uh, and each one of them uh, has, has a great product line and a great system. Obviously, if you talk to any, any of them, they think they've got the best one in the country. Uh, but sometimes they uh, they only talk about their systems, and uh, again, because of lack of knowledge, people will take knowledge from one system and to try to apply it to another system, and that doesn't always work. Right. So, so it's so it's it's really a, a um, application. A lot of a lot of mistakes are based on the application of of the insulation. Yes, it is. You know, and I, I find it I find it interesting. You know, knowing that okay, you go through the you go through the specs uh, for mechanical insulation. Um, you know, and and as an engineer, you might you might think of you know just generally you know think about okay, well, it could be these two types of uh, two you know two types of mechanical insulation, and then you worry about the thickness. You know, it's 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 really you don't give it you know a lot of thought uh, a lot of times, and it's like one of those things that it's the uh, the Ron Popeil. You know, you set it for set it and forget it. You know, you just say, okay, well, this is what I've been doing for for the longest time. This is what I'm going to be doing on a go forward basis, uh, and you don't really check back and to make sure that those choices were the right choices. Uh, well, as, as we often say, that the system keeps working if the insulation is not working properly. One of the examples I always like to give is just think of the air conditioning. If you have air conditioning ducts in your home, which I'm sure you do, mm-hmm. if it's uh, if there's a hole in the insulation or if a piece of the insulation is torn off of the of the sheet metal duct, the system still works. Uh, you still get hot air or cold air. It, it's not efficient. You're certainly costing you money, but the system works. Uh, so it is it's really not being looked at. However, if that system didn't come on people would automatically call a serviceman, but just because there may be a little piece of insulation damaged or missing, they don't always pay attention to it as they should. Mm. Out of sight, out of mind. Absolutely. Now, as far as insulation goes, you know, I I mentioned thickness. Um, You know, I I guess 
is there such a thing? You know, obviously you can have no insulation, which is bad. You can have some insulation, which is better than nothing. You can have the right amount of insulation. Is there is there such a thing as too much insulation? Well, I think you have the law of diminishing returns. Um, whether it's energy conservation or condensation control, there there is a there is an optimum thickness uh, that just makes sense from a return on investment standpoint. Um, you know, a lot of people refer to it as economic thickness. Uh, what is the best thickness with the highest rate of return to accomplish your objective? Um, I prefer to, to look at it a little bit differently and call it, instead of calling it economic thickness, is just looking at it purely based upon the long-term perspective. Not short-term, but long-term. Um, if you take the, the, the life cycle costing into play in a, in a design of a mechanical system at a building, uh, especially with the, the, in today's construction and the discussion of prescriptive versus holistic building codes going down the road. Uh, people need to look at economic thickness from a long-term perspective as opposed to a short-term perspective. And in many cases, that would be a much greater thickness than that of what is currently uh, listed as the minimum guides in a lot of the specifications. But it is not something that would be a foot thick. There does become a, a point of economic considerations. It just doesn't make sense. Now, have there been any uh, case studies that, uh, that that people can read regarding you know the thickness of insulation and and, and kind of a, a cost benefit analysis? Is there anything uh, like that out there? Oh yes, there's uh, there's several uh, that have been written about the economic thickness calculations and so forth. Uh, I know that ASHRAE has some. There's uh, certainly some within the National of the Building Sciences uh, Mechanical Insulation Design Guide. Certainly, part that. Now, I guess kind of going through some of the the basic types of insulation. Um, can you can you can you do that for us? Oh, I think I can give you an overview. There's uh, if you want to categorize them, uh, there's basically four different types of, of categories. If you want to refer to it as uh, there's sailor insulation, uh, and sailor insulation would include such things as. Um, uh, elastomeric type, this would be the, the rubbery type black insulation that you would see on condensate lines around your air conditioning. Uh, you would have cellular glass uh, used primarily in, in the coal business and uh, coal side of the industry. Polystyrenes or urethanes, there's different types, anything that is cellular in nature. Then you have the fibrous insulations, which would be, uh, of course, the, probably the most common would uh, be no would be fiberglass, referred to as fiberglass. Uh, then there's mineral wool, uh, and there's different textile glasses and high-temperature fibers that would fall within that category. Then you would have the, the what we refer to as the granular insulation, which is uh, products like calcium silicate or perlite. Uh, these are normally the higher-temperature insulations that go up to the 1,200 or even higher degrees in Fahrenheit. Then you have uh, reflective insulation, which is some type of reflective body uh, that is usually either used to by itself or uh, in conjunction with other materials for the reflective nature of the product. Uh, all of these uh, come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, you'll have some that are actually molded uh, to that of the, the diameter of the pipe, uh, so that when you actually buy it, we would refer to it as a pipe section. Uh, you Literally, this is oversimplification, but you clamp it around a pipe, two half sections. Uh, you put it around a pipe. Now, there are others that come in block form, and uh, then you have to take those blocks and you, you laminate them together, and you're able then to fabricate from that a pipe section or a piece of insulation that would fit the head of a piece of equipment or to go around a pump, that type of thing. 
Then you have a combination of all of these various materials that are put together with other materials to form different uh, systems, like a, well, in Europe they call them pillows, uh, flexible insulation covers uh, that you can literally just wrap around like a pillow, that you wrap around a valve or a flange and things of that nature. Uh, so they come in all shapes and sizes, and as I said, I think if you really cut them all up, there's probably all 40 different core type uh, insulation materials that are utilized in the industry. Wow, that's quite a few. <laughs> it really is. That's also part of the, the problem with deficit understanding. It's uh, A lot of the products will uh, can be used in the same application. But again, you have to have the knowledge to be able to pick, first of all, what is what's the the application temperature, which ones will fit. And then you have to go through the systematic list of abuse resistance. Is it, uh, is it going to be in an area of high, high, uh, high usage, high contact from human nature subject to the damage, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. High humidity areas, that type. So you have to go through quite a list to determine which one is, is probably the best material system for you to use. Right. Now, and you also, I mean, I guess insulation typically is, is one part of you know what you take a look at i mean obviously if it was and you you know i i see this kind of in your abuse or you know exposure type of situations where um you know it's not above a ceiling it's actually up on a roof or where somebody might you know be stepping on it or it might be exposed to rain or something like that you know then you get into another category of i guess you know uh, uh protective devices you know I, I guess you could call it i mean what what sort of i guess um um, uh, variety uh, do you have there as far as uh, shields and, uh, um, you know, flexible uh, uh, coverings? Well, there, there's two probably the most common ones uh, that are utilized is aluminum jacketing uh, that is put over top. That's primarily used uh, more in the industrial segment uh, than on the commercial side. Uh, and on the commercial side, uh, which would be buildings, schools, hospitals, things of that nature, you would have primarily what is referred to as PVC jacketing, uh, polyvinyl chloride jacketing. It's a plastic jacketing that goes over top of it that's uh, uh, usually usually white in color, but it comes in different colors, and it's uh, much easier to be cleaned than that of many aluminum or stainless steel finishes. But you also have, when again, depending on the application, uh, besides the metal jacketing and, and or the PVC jacketing, you have different laminates uh, and fabrics uh, that can be utilized over the insulation also. In many cases, they are, they are actually installed over the insulation first, especially on below ambient applications. And then those are actually protected then by the metal jacketing or the PVC. It's a vapor barrier, if you will, or a weather barrier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have some systems that will have, um, I'm sure that you've probably seen them in, in various office buildings or shopping centers and that type of thing, you'll look up and you'll see a white, looks like a paper jacket uh, that's over over insulation. That is called an all-service jacket. Uh, it is sometimes utilized. Uh, it's laminated to the actual insulation itself. Uh, it's actually hinged, and so you take these two half sections that are hinged by this jacket, you put it around the pipe, and it has a self-sealing lap. And if you're in a, in a high ceiling, not subject to abuse, uh, aesthetics is not a problem long-term. In many cases, that is all that's utilized in the other jacketing whatsoever. But if it's exposed outside, you have to have some type of protection over it, or ultimately you're going to have a problem. Right. 
Now, uh, when you when you get into the design of these of these systems, um, you know, I, I guess the the one thing that you know, I, I just you know, point out to people, a lot of times, you know, when you're dealing with insulation over ductwork, uh, a lot of times there isn't, uh, there might be some. I don't know if it's not care or there might be some discrepancy whether or not, you know, balancing valves or uh, the balancing dampers are covered over or there are certain uh, uh, testing ports that the balancer uh, needs access to. I guess some, sometimes, you know, when you talk about the construction aspect of it, uh, there are certain things like that that, that, do get, uh, that do get missed sometimes. No question about that at all. And, again, it's, uh, it comes back to the experience of the, of the installer and understanding the, the total system. Uh, in many cases, as you just described, you'll have people putting on duct insulation that has no, no consideration at all of the entire system, and they're just wrapping the insulation around the duct and moving on. Yeah. It, it certainly is a problem. You know, I, I, the, the vision I always get when I think of an insulator on a job site is these people with the, these old, these long kitchen knives it's, it seems like every every one of them has these these long kitchen knives for cutting insulation. It's it's just it's kind of this weird weird thing that I I'm like I'm like everybody's got a knife. It's like you know, uh, no question about it. Uh, <laughs> all the types of insulation you're talk, talking about um, has to be in some places cut for penetrations of piping or things of that nature. And, and a knife or or a small saw is the is the best way to get it done. <laughs> I just think it's it's weird, but you know it's like everybody has their favorite their favorite tool. But I mean, they look like you know they got it out of their kitchen like 50 years ago, and they've been using it ever since. So it's, it's all this wear and tear. It's obvious that you've been out and seen it many times. So it's, it's obvious. So and that now, is there's really not a lot of tools that's required out in the field. But you're right; everybody does have a knife of some type. So the um, now talking about the installation of the of it around. You know, I mean, typically I think that. Uh, for for there might be some uh, you know problems with installing it or around like pipe saddles and things like that different pipe support systems um, you know where you might need blocking so the insulation doesn't you know or the piping doesn't crush crush the insulation um, but I think that that more problematically you know at least from from my standpoint I see a lot of installations of uh, piping um, around either equipment. Or valves, or something that need, is is going to need maintenance uh, on a regular basis. That you know isn't just thought of. I mean, I guess who's who's is that something that they teach in in, in uh, you know insulation school, so to speak, uh, for the contractor, or is that something that that really the the engineer should focus more on? Well, I think the answer is is all of the above. Uh, yes, uh, it is taught certainly in an apprenticeship training. Uh, as to how to insulate around a valve and how to seal it and that type of thing. But again, I want to come back just a moment, if, if I've made to the, to the deficit understanding. When, when you install insulation around a, a valve or a flange, a piece of equipment, a, a pipe support penetration of any type, especially if you're in a high humidity, high humid area or if you're outside exposed to weather, when you have those type of situations and it is not properly sealed, uh, and water is subject to water infiltration, you're going to have a problem. Uh, it's not a question of if, it's a question of, of, of when. And it is that deficit understanding of, of the degree of that problem that does create a lot of issues. Even if it is installed properly, uh, which in many cases it is not, uh, it then if something were to occur uh, that that seal would have been broken, 
the facility owner and so forth has to understand that they have to get to that further quickly or ultimately they're going to have a problem at a much faster pace than they'd expected. But the engineer, uh, as you mentioned, in many cases, they don't take into consideration the insulation as they should. They're putting pipes too close together, and then they specify insulation thicknesses that you can't get around the pipe. Um, they're looking at valves and flanges, and they're not insulating them uh, because of potential accessibility in the future. But yet with removable insulation covers and the technologies that are out there today combined with the energy costs today, there's just really no reason not to insulate valves and flanges and pumps and things of that nature. Uh, it's, it's your return investment is certainly there. But you have to have that knowledge base by which to understand that design. And one of the common approaches, common problems uh, in the maintenance side is, again, uh, everything is looked at as a maintenance expense. It's not looked at as the investment that it should be. Absolutely. No, you know, and, and I would I would agree to that. Now, I, I guess, you know, is it is it would it be better to, you know, from a, from an engineering standpoint to specify something that that can be easily removed, um, you know, rather than relying on maybe a, a detail saying, OK, you know, to, to and I think that my prime example is, you know, you have a, a chilled water pump and you have a strainer that's that that you need to clean on a periodic basis so you need to be able to remove a piece of that you know typically it's going to be like some sort of you know flex, uh, flexible elastomeric uh, type you know cellular installation and you know just taking it off removing it sometimes it just you know falls off and it it, it uh you know it, it is it better to detail it or to, to to actually specify something that you know is maybe more custom made than that I think it is. It's much easier, and again, from a long-term standpoint, it's easier to specify something. It's a lot easier to put on and take off. That is designed to be put on and take off. If you will, a flexible cover that has uh, has Velcro attachments to it that you can put there. But then, besides that, you also need to make sure that the, that the operators that would be taking it on and off in the operation understand that. Uh, so often, there, I've seen many times where mechanical engineers have specified a very, very good system just for the reason you just described. And the operator then will take it off and lay it on the floor and walk off <laughs> and never put it back. Oh, and okay. I've seen that literally thousands and thousands of times. Uh, so it, it's it's one of training not only in the, in the original design and the original installation, but also the operation. Well, but there is a there is a psychological thing in the in the industry that you don't insulate items that do have potential accessibility. Um, uh, we recently did a, a an energy assessment in the state of Montana, uh, where we went in on a pilot project with the state of Montana and looked at their government buildings in in Helena, Montana. We went into I think it was twenty six of their buildings, uh, a total of about fifty five or fifty six mechanical rooms. The state has done a phenomenal job, just a phenomenal job at maintaining their insulation systems over the years. They really have. But through that process, they, they were absolutely amazed when we came out. There were 3,500 items that had been identified that were uninsulated or damaged. And the, most of them were flanges, valves, pumps, and that nature that had never been insulated because they were worried about accessibility, even though that may not happen but every four or five years. <laughs> The return on investment for that was 4.1 years. Wow. And I don't know about you, but in, in, in 
today, 4.1 year return on your investments is, is not bad. And uh, in a commercial building, that's uh, hot, hot, uh, hot water piping, low, low pressure steam. That's that's pretty good return on investment. So it, it's a it's how you look at it. It's that mindset. So now, when you talk about insulation, you've kind of you pointed it out there a little bit. But does does insulation have a service life? I mean, you know, most of the equipment's uh, you know it says okay, you know you're going to have a compressor the last fifteen years. You're going to have you know a fan that lasts you know uh, twenty. Um, yeah, what's what's the service life of insulation? The service life is is actually indefinite uh, if it's uh, if it's put on properly and maintained. All insulations do have some, some thermal de- degradation uh, just because of the aging process itself, but as far as being effective insulation over time, uh, the life is indefinite if you, if, you, if you really do maintain it and take care of it, if it's not damaged. So, uh, Unfortunately, again, it's the damage issue that uh, normally shortens the life. Okay. So now I, I guess what, what are some of the, you know, if, if you're an operator and you're saying, okay, you know, what happens if a section of pipe gets wet for whatever reason? There's a roof leak or, or something like that. What, what happens, uh, you know, I mean, should you, should you dry it out? Should you replace it? I mean, should you, you know, I, I guess what, what should, what's the proper um, treatment of that? Well, first of all, I, I think that you, you've got to appreciate that water and insulation uh, do not go together at all. Uh, we often refer to that as moisture or water is, is insulation's enemy number one, public enemy number one. Uh, there are certain insulations depending on the service conditions. Uh, if you're operating in a, in a very high pressure steam up in 350 and so degrees and water gets in, obviously uh, the insulation may dry out. Uh, you could lose some thermal uh, efficiency of that, uh, but you've got to stop the entrance of water and you've got to allow it to dry out, and that's usually a problem. Uh, if water's gotten in uh, and you're going to seal it so that no additional water gets in, how do you dry that insulation out first if it's exposed outside? So it's it's an issue where it's probably the best example would be to go in and to replace that section or a couple sections around it so that you are starting with dry insulation at the very beginning. If it is a system that is not higher temperature and it is lower ambient temperatures and water gets in, then that water can migrate throughout the insulation much greater than that one area where it got in. And especially in a cold system or below ambient system, you always have the moisture or the vapor drive always trying to go from the hot side to the cold side. And if water gets in to that insulation and does get down to that, to that substrate, which in most cases is the steel pipe, um, Depending on the insulation, depending on the, the contaminants that may be in that water and so forth, could you end up with corrosion under insulation? Yes. Uh, insulation itself does not cause corrosion. It does not. Uh, but could some of, the, some of the contaminants within the, the actual moisture itself mix with some of the potential chlorides and in insulation maybe accelerate uh, corrosion? Yes. No question about that at all. But, and we could talk about many examples, but the common denominator here is water, moisture. So the, the safe situation is always is to get the, the wet insulation off and to replace it, whether it's below ambient or above ambient conditions. Replace it sooner than later because the corrosion under insulation, uh, is a, it's an interesting subject. Insulation gets blamed for it. In many cases, there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars used uh, spent every year in the replacement of corroded piping and equipment. 
because of the water under insulation. Insulation gets blamed. That is, that is unfair. Uh, it's always been unfair. But you have to have the respect that that water gets in. You have to address it. You just can't just let it sit there. And it's always amazing when I when I hear a facility owner say, I, I was really surprised that we, we found corrosion under insulation. I, I've never understood that. How, how can you be surprised when the insulation has been damaged for years mm-hmm. and you've never fixed it? So to add a long story to, to answer your question, I my recommendation is always when you get insulation that is wet, it's best to go in and replace that insulation and don't just replace the six inches around it. Make sure that it has not propagated out to a greater distance. Now, I guess, uh, you know, when, you, when you're checking for moisture, um, you know, what, I guess what's the, what's the best way to do it? I mean, obviously, you know, if something is, is uh, you, know, uh, you know, dripping wet, that's easy to spot. But if, if the moisture content is, is higher than it should be, is there, you know, so, so could you take a moisture meter like you, you test drywall? Is that, is that uh, a possibility? Or what, how, how typically would you go through and, and, and test insulation to make sure that it's not, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have moisture? I mean, do you, do you look for that visual? Well, it is certainly the visual inspection is number one. Um, if you see a hole in the insulation or if you see where a seal's been broken and that type of thing, uh, it's probably best to go ahead and remove that jacketing at that point and, and visually look underneath of that and see if it's there. Um, there are systems today where insulation, especially on piping, uh, but also on equipment, where um, you can actually put what is referred to as an inspection port in the actual insulation uh, that allows you to pull out part of that port, pull a rubber grommet out of that report, uh, out of the port, and look down in the insulation to the substrate to see if there's any moisture that's migrated to that section. But absent of that, which is uh, unfortunately not existing in most systems today, um, you just see an area where you've got a, you've got a hole. You, it's obvious that you could get water in. Uh, you need to start uh, taking off that piece of jacketing and, and looking underneath to see what you have. Sounds like an elaborate process, but you're protecting an investment. Um, and if you don't do that, again, ultimately you could have a problem down the road. So now when we talk about, you know, certain things that you can do as far as the maintenance of it, you know, and visual inspection, checking for holes, things like that, you know, how are the, you know, the adhesives? You talked about the, the preformed pipe, the, uh, the adhesive, the, the lap, uh, you know, you lick it and stick it or whatever, you know, just it's, it's, it's already there. How are the, uh, how are those, uh, the longevity of those, um, you know, as far as drying out and, and, and uh, you know, peeling off? Well, the, the technology and the, of all of those type of products uh, have just tremendously been improved over the years. Uh, they really have. And again, you have to, as you mentioned, most of these are used as a as a lap adhesive uh, and so forth, and they're really not exposed to direct sunlight in most cases because they are, if you will, covered over by the jacketing or by the membrane. Uh, and again, they, they last for quite some period of time, but like anything, they will eventually dry out or be subject to, to damage, and they just need to be, again, visually inspected. But the, the technology has improved just so much. Uh, the quality of the products today are so much greater than they were 10, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I have, I have seen that a number of times. And I guess, you know, to, to, insulation likes to be a system where you have all the, you know, different, uh, you know, the gaps, the, the, the uh, you know, the ends, the, the, any sort of seam uh, covered, and uh, taped over, 
and I've, I've seen it a number of times where you go into a mechanical room and you do see, you know, this, this adhesive or this, this tape, depending on, you know, how they applied it. And obviously I think it's, it's, it's partially an installation uh, issue rather than a, than a product issue. But, uh, you know, you see it, you know, dripping off and, and, and coming loose. And, and really, I guess at that point, it, it, it becomes an issue with, um, you know, uh, I guess stopping that, you know, being a, being a vapor barrier and stopping moisture migration uh, to that, uh, the, the substrate or the pipe, the duct or whatever. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. You identify the weakness in the system when you see that situation. And again, it's, it's especially alarming on below ambient conditions, on chill water piping or cold refrigeration piping. It's, it's much more alarming on, on the below ambient side as opposed to the above ambient side. But certainly an issue. There's no question about that at all. But you, you mentioned the installation, though, and, and you, you talk about the installation. Installation it is very, very key, and, and you need to really employ an experienced contractor that uh, that knows what they're doing uh, for that particular application. There are some contractors uh, that are just they do excellent work in the commercial field, and, and that's their degree of expertise. Um, they may not have that in the industrial sector, so be, be careful of the expertise and the experience of the contractor, and vice versa. Uh, there are so many um, so many people or companies that install insulation as part of their business as opposed to specializing in that business. And as a result of that, uh, you do have a lot of faulty applications that unfortunately do not, the problems do not appear immediately. Um, they appear later on, and that's that's a problem. So employing an experienced and, and well-recognized successful contractor and the people that he has is, is, is much better. Now, so uh, you, you, we've, we've talked a number of times about this, this knowledge gap. Uh, what, what are some of the things that the, uh, the uh, uh, NIA is, is doing to uh, address that? Well, there's, there's many different things that are out there. First, I, I would uh, I would really recommend that everyone go to the National Institute of Building Sciences, what is referred to as the Whole Building Design Guide. Uh, within that guide, there is a the Mechanical Insulation Design Guide. And that particular guide, whether you're an experienced professional or whether you're a novice, it will take you through basically all, all parts of the system, from design considerations, uh, uh, both ob- objectives and other considerations. It'll take you through the materials, the systems, uh, what are the attributes of those systems, how to look at it, some of the installation tips. Uh, it's all done generically. Uh, it is uh, purely a generic situation. It has within it uh, energy calculators, online energy calculators, calculators for personnel protection, for condensation control. So even if you're not a, a, a mechanical engineer that's used to doing some of these, these, these simple calculators will certainly help you get there. Um, when it will talk about a, an ASHRAE standard or other standards, it gives you a direct portal. It's a link that you can get directly to those organizations and then come right back to the guide. It is absolutely one of the, I think, one of the best uh, resources out there uh, for the mechanical insulation. From a, uh, from a novice position uh, or a refresher, uh, we've just, uh, just released, as a matter of fact, with the Department of Energy, uh, some e-learning modules. That'll be that's actually online right now. They just went online this last week, um, which will take you through a, a course, uh, if you will, five different modules from uh, talking about the benefits of insulation, some of the basic science and technology, uh, 
again, it'll get in some of the design considerations and objectives, uh, some of the maintenance issues related to mechanical insulation, uh, everything that we've talked about today. And they have just been released. Uh, as part of the uh, National Training Education Resource uh, website of the Department of Energy. And you can get to all of those, as a matter of fact, uh, through our website, through uh, uh, insulation.org, which is the National Insulation Association website, and can link you to every one of those. At the same time, we're, uh, we're out uh, every day, I think, with different organizations around the United States, again, at uh, various chapter meetings, annual meetings with publications, constantly talking about many of the things we talked about today. Um, just how to look at mechanical insulation differently, some of the pitfalls, uh, how the return on investment can be calculated and, and unappreciated today. And one of the things that I think people are amazed about, you mentioned earlier in the show about envelope insulation. When you're talking about a return on investment and energy, when you look at an envelope, all energy is basically is a calculation or return on investment is going to be a temperature differential. So inside of your home or office, you're going to be at 68 or 72 degrees, and outside you're going to be maybe at zero or at 100 degrees, depending on where you are. So that temperature differential is, what, 30, 60, 80 degrees between the exterior and the interior. When you talk about mechanical insulation, uh, even in just, uh, just talk domestic hot water piping, that pipe's at 140 degrees, water inside of it. And now you're in a, you're in a, in a house or you're outside even in a situation. So the temperature differential on mechanical insulation systems is much greater than that of an envelope. So the potential return on investment by looking at mechanical insulation differently is just tremendously a different world. Uh, in most cases, uh, you'll find a return on investment uh, with mechanical insulation from an energy perspective anywhere from six months to, uh, to three to four years. And uh, I don't think you'll find that with envelope insulation. I think you'll find it a much higher, uh, much longer payback period. So again, it's a different mindset. It's just looking at it different. Quit taking it for granted. Excellent. Well, all that is uh, that great great information. And um, for anybody, uh, don't don't worry about uh, remembering all the things that uh, that Ron had said. I will post that in the uh, the show notes, so we'll have some links there uh, to the good stuff, including the uh, the NIBS guideline and uh, uh, insulation.org and, and places like that. So um, uh, just yeah, go to uh, uh, buildingx.co, and we'll have those all listed under the show notes for this episode. So with that, um, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, you having. Uh, uh, giving us some of your time, Ron. Uh, anything else that uh, you'd like to add that we haven't covered so far? No, I don't think so, Matt. We certainly appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I would just like to, to leave all those listeners with just asking that you that you think about mechanical insulation differently. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much thank for you, your Matt. time. All right. Thank you. All right, and we're back. Uh, again, much uh, much thanks to uh, Ron King uh, for taking the time out to talk with us. You know, it, it's one of those things that is this, I mean, you can't get any more basic than insulation. I mean, and, and to be able to do it right and to do it well, um, you know, just as a fundamental thing that, that 
you know all engineers um you know uh, people should 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 know you know it's so easy to 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 you know um not understand and not uh, realize kind of what you're doing and and i guess what i mean by that is that you know t- there's times in the field where you're like you know what i need to 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 get under this insulation so you know you don't think about it you take out a pocket knife you you cut the insulation you're looking for a nameplate you're you, you know you're looking for um you know you know this that the other thing and you just you just leave that gap there you know I, if you know just like uh ron was saying you know there's there's other uh maintenance people who would just leave off insulation just because you know it's a hassle to keep putting it back on and off and or something that that may not have been designed real real well uh they put it on and it just automatically just falls off um you know so often you have these gaps in the insulation and it just you know doesn't do your system any good you know we talk about we talk about uh, you know all these great technologies, whether it be you know uh, photovoltaic arrays or uh, you know uh, just uh, you know um, you know different different technologies that are out there. Um, and you know when you when you take a look at it and you stand back, you go, oh yeah, you know if I did a better job on my insulation, you know that thing that we all know about, we could save just about as much money as you know. Uh, you know, putting in a new photovoltaic array, you know, it really, I, I think it would, it, in some cases, it might equate to that, you know, you you really you get back to, um, you know, what we talked about with net zero buildings, and just kind of doing some, some things fundamentally uh, right, and fundamentally well, and, uh, you know, you really reduce the uh, energy consumption in your building, you know, there's, there's so many things that, uh, you know, it just, it just steamrolls, um, you know, when you have poor insulation or, or insulation that, that is uh, not well maintained. So I think it's, it's, you, you just do yourself a favor, just being educated about this. If you have standards in your office, you might want to revisit the standards. You might want to question the standards. There's nothing wrong with, you know, questioning something that's been around a gazillion years. It may end up being wrong. It may need to be updated. Um, you know, so just, just use that information. And like I said, I'll post some of that, uh, those, uh, 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 shortcuts, those URLs on the website uh, for you to uh, investigate and to learn from. So uh, with that, uh, I think we're, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, remember, if you want to have any show suggestions, you can always uh, uh, shoot me an email at matt at buildingx.co. And uh, if not, uh, you can also uh, drop me a line on the website um, or uh, sign up for the newsletter, Matt, at, or, uh, at <laughs> buildingx.co. Uh, if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, that's at buildingx. And I think that uh, that pretty much is it. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you. It's a great pleasure to do this for you, and I hope that you get a lot of inf- information out of it. Um, that's the whole reason why I'm doing it. I do it for you. And with that, we will part. So until next time, remember, know what you build and share what you know.